It's great to see everyone here this morning. I am back from a restful vacation and ready to share the goodness of God's word with you this morning. I love the last verse that's calling us to give our soul, our life, our all to Christ. And that's really what Paul has been challenging us to do here in Colossians 1, isn't it? He has set Christ up over all. He has shown his preeminence over creation and over the church and that everything is for him and through him and by him. And he tries to level in chapter 2 all the things that we want to hold on to that we think are so helpful in becoming like Christ. Human religion, man-made works, mysticism, asceticism, all these different things. Paul just strips those away and in chapter 3 says, focus on Christ. If you want to be able to live an effective Christian life, It's going to be Christ and Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, by faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And so we have been walking through Colossians 3, and he's told us that by the grace of God, since we are now new creations, we are putting off the old man with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. And then he said we're putting on the new man, which is... Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And God is doing this incredible work of taking off the results of the fall in Genesis 3 and putting on the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he's telling us here as we're going through the latter part of chapter 3 is every relationship you have is going to be transformed as you are being transformed. And so he starts with wives and husbands, and he tells wives that you will now be able to submit to your husband as to Christ by the grace of God that lives in and through you, not in your own strength or your own power. And husbands, you'll be able to love your wives as Christ loved the church. And children, you will now have the grace to be able to submit to your parents in all righteousness, uh, seeing the Lord there, and that fathers, you will be able to love your children like the Father loves you, and you'll not be provoking them to anger. And so today, he zeroes in on our work, and the gospel affects the way we work. This is an amazing um, passage as you get into it, and I've really been surprised. I mean, the the, the truth is here, I've known the truth, but it's amazing how it can transform your work. So the title of my message this morning is Christ Transforms Our Work. The gospel of Jesus Christ should impact the way you work. And we thank Brother Bill for, for reading the scripture there, Colossians three twenty two through 4, 1. Now we're dealing here, he starts off by saying, verse 22, slaves. And he's using the word bond servant, someone who is literally owned by somebody else. And Paul uses this term a lot for himself. He says, I'm a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been purchased by Christ. I am Christ. I belong to Christ. And I'm at the service of Christ in whatever he wants me to do. And slaves in the Roman world were owned by someone else. 
We don't have slavery per se here in the United States at this time. Uh, But slaves in that time were viewed as property. Nothing more, nothing less. Cicero in 43 BC, just, you know, a few decades before Christ was born, wrote this. If you're out at sea and the ship is being tossed and you need to get rid of some dead weight and you have the choice between a good horse and an old slave, just throw the old slave overboard. This was the view of slaves. They were no more than a good horse. They were property. Some slaves out of anger would gouge the eye of a slave out or cut off a finger or do something else to bring punishment to the slave. There were probably millions of slaves in the Roman Empire and a lot of their fate really depended upon their master. Some of them had very hard, a very hard life. Their master was, was cruel to them. Others were very much blessed and probably lived better than some freemen because of their station in, their, in the household of their master. So this is the backdrop that we have here in Colossians 3. We notice that the scripture doesn't tell us to get rid of slavery. It doesn't tell us to uh, seek for freedom. Paul's concern here is that we shine the light of Christ in whatever circumstance we're in. The truth that all men are created equal, the, the truth that all men are equal in Christ is really the groundswell which brought the freedom of slavery through William Wilberforce. And obviously it's a result of the fall. Uh, but Paul's focus here is on living in whatever circumstance you're in, in a way that honors Christ. For us, we're looking at employer-employee relationships. And there's a difference here, obviously. A slave couldn't just say, I'm going to go get me another master. You were stuck with who you had, and you had to deal with what you were dealing with, whether they were gracious and kind or whether they were ruthless and harsh. Some misconceptions that we have today about work uh, in our culture are that work is just a necessary evil. Some people believe that work is part of the fall. That's what happened when Adam fell, we had to work. No, the Bible says that we were called to work before the fall. And what God is going to do here through Christ and the gospel is give work new meaning and new purpose. But a lot of us can view work as a necessary evil. We all know the phrase TGIF. We can't, we work all week waiting for what? Friday and getting off and having the weekend free. And then we're moaning and groaning on Monday trying to get ourselves out of bed and head back to again to do this necessary evil. A lot of us are on our work. The question really is what's in it for me? And this causes a lot of conflict with our employers, with other employees. Um, For some of us, it's just simply do as little as possible to get by. What is the minimum my employer wants me to do and let me make sure I do that so I don't get in any kind of trouble and again, waiting for the weekend. Or we're complaining about work conditions and we we deserve better than what we're getting. Um, And a lot of us are working 20, 30, 40 years waiting for what? Retirement so that we don't have to work anymore. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes the view that we have of work. And we're going to look this morning at four points. First, the Christian should do all that he do all of his work as if he is working for the Lord. That will transform your work right there alone. Two, the Christian should do all his work from the heart. How many of us go to work and our heart's not in it, our mind's not in it, 
and we simply go there, check in, check out. This passage of scripture clearly tells us that our heart needs to be in our work. Three, the Christian should realize that his work will be rewarded by Christ. That alone also will transform our perspective on whatever it is God has called us to do as far as work. And for the Christian employer must treat his workers with justice and fairness. Those are the four points we're going to kind of walk through today in our passage. So first, the Christian should do all of his work as, it, as if he were doing it for the Lord. In verse 23, if you'll focus on, on Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, we read, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. When we go to work and we're dealing with our employer, we need to see beyond our employer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is true for children, right? Children obey their parents, but they're looking beyond their parents to who? To Christ. And this is true for wives as they submit to their husbands. They're looking past their husband to whom? To Christ. And therefore, they're able to give that kind of service because they're really submitting to Christ. They're really obeying Christ. And in the workplace, we are really working for Christ and not for men. Now, obviously, we do work for men, and the goal here is to benefit those men and women that we work for. But notice he says, whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord. When you go to work on Monday, who are you working for? Are you working just to make the money, just to bring it home? And you really don't like your boss that much, but you're going to get through the day and slug on down the road? Or do you have a biblical perspective on work? Colossians 3 gives us a biblical perspective on work. Verse 24 says, you are serving the Lord Christ. Wow. That changes everything. Unfortunately for us, when we... Um, allow our sinful nature to take part in our thinking, we tend to view work sometimes as either idolatry or idleness. When we view work as idolatry, we begin to depend upon work as if it's our God. Uh, our work is our primary source of satisfaction. We look to it for, to give us everything we need for happiness in life. We are so dependent upon that job and this situation and we'll even compromise and do whatever we have to do to hang on to this job because it's the most important thing that there is. Also, a lot of us can have our, our name built upon our work. And so we use our job as a way to build our own name, to build our own reputation for our own glory. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we are holy and beloved by God. As we look at who Jesus is in Colossians, we see he is the supreme being of the universe. And we have a personal relationship with him. Let that sink in. You have, if you're a believer, you have a relationship with the most powerful good being 
in the universe. And you have the greatest joy. You have the greatest purpose for life. You have the greatest reward that's waiting. So if you compare what Christ has given you versus what your employer is going to give you, if you really understand what Christ has done, this over here is very secondary to this. But if we're not careful in our carnal mind, we will see this is most important and we will literally be dominated by our work, by our career, as opposed to Christ and who he is. We have a new master. This is what the gospel says. Even though you go to work every day and this person has a leadership over you, the Bible says you have a new master. Romans 6, 17 and 18 But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Could I just say slaves of Christ? Would that be okay? This is what Paul understood as a bondservant. He was a slave of Christ. He had been rescued from the dominion of darkness. He had been made a slave of Christ and he wore that badge proudly and he put it down as his signature on almost every letter he wrote a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ we were once slaves to sin sin's a hard taskmaster and it can crush us and we've been rescued by Jesus Christ and he has brought us out of the dominion of darkness brought us in the kingdom of the son he loves And he is in the process of transforming us into his very image. We read that all through Colossians chapter 3. So therefore, what we learn from this passage is all work is important to Christ. All work is important to Christ. Whether you're a surgeon, whether you're a teacher whether you're a financial advisor, whether you're a lawyer, even lawyers, yes, that's true, Christ. Whether you are a maid, whether you are a janitor, whatever job you have is important to Christ. We kind of have a hierarchy, don't we? There are certain jobs we would never even want to take. Christ says all work is important. There is also no distinction between secular and sacred. I know back in my life I was looking forward to getting out of work so I could go do ministry. Because I didn't see my work as really sacred. This passage clearly teaches that all work is unto Christ, therefore there is no real distinction between the sacred and the secular. Since he is, since you have been purchased by him and are working for him. In 1 Peter 2.18, the scripture says, Servants, be subject to your own masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Jesus calls us to some hard things. He called these slaves to some hard things. 
They had some unruly masters, and they were called to still submit and be under that. Wives, so we have some wives who are, who are in, the, in the Christian world or submitting to some harsh men. It's not easy. God calls them to submit. There's some children who are obeying some parents who are harsh and unjust. God calls us to obey. God does not call us to obey in the area of sin, whether it's in marriage or it's in the home or it's at work. So we do not commit sin to continue to submit to our leadership. But God calls us to hard things. We work for the Lord primarily and men secondarily. Now, when I was with Athletes in Action, I had a high school coach named John Nichols. Then I had an Athletes in Action coach named Arlie Nichols. And they were two different men. Coach Nichols, high school, I could understand what he was trying to do. It made perfect sense. It was logical. I had the highest trust and respect for him. For my other coach, he was, um, he was, a, he was, in, he was a sergeant in the military, and he loved to test us and see whether we would follow him no matter what. So we would have times in workouts where he would pull a drill out that we had never seen before and he'd expect us to do it. So one day he had been watching the Oregon State uh, basketball team and he saw a drill they were doing. And so he came out on the court and he said, okay, man, this is the drill we're going to do. We're going to do a figure eight drill. And usually when you do a figure eight drill, you take a dribble or so and you pass, you go behind the person, you're making this figure eight all up and down the court. He said, I want you to go, for those who are basketball, you understand how hard this is. I want you to go and make sure you touch the outside, out of bounds line each time you go out on the curve. You do not dribble the ball. You do not travel. And make sure you make your layups. So you're literally sprinting at full speed trying to do this figure eight drill. And we started out, and guys were kind of optimistic. And, of course, that didn't last more than 10 minutes when we realized. And we had to do, I think, 21 layups in a row perfectly. So we get to three or four, and then the ball will be thrown out of bounds, or, or the guy will miss the layup, and we have to start over again. And you could just see the frustration begin to build. And the natural response was, this coach is unrealistic. Why am I having to do this? And at this point, the sinful nature says, you know what? I don't have to put up with this. So all the, all the attitudes kind of went down the drain. And we're doing this. And we did that drill for two hours. Two hours. And the only way to make it through the drill, really, was to have the attitude that this is what we're doing and I'm doing this under the Lord, and I'll do it the best I can. And if I run for five hours, I'll still do the best I can and run this drill because the drill was impossible. Some of us may work for employers like that who are impossible to work for. They ask you to do things that are beyond what's reasonable, and you spend a lot of anxiety and frustration in that situation. Colossians 3 says, listen, you are serving Christ. There is nothing that's a surprise to God. Serve him. Rejoice in him. And in whatever situation you're dealing with, that is such grace to help you live for 
him. Number two, the Christian should do all his work from the heart. So first of all, we must understand that we're working for Christ. That alone should transform the way you and I work for those that we work for. We are working for Christ primarily. Secondly, this work should be done from our heart. We have been transformed by the gospel. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has transformed us. He tells us in verse 22, slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says in everything, and what he's saying there really is, whether it's stuff you like to do or whether it's stuff you hate to do, whatever he asks you to do, you are to do it as long as it's not what? Sin. We understand clearly from scripture we're not to sin for anyone in any way, shape, or form. But whether we like what they want us to do, whether they don't, we are to serve. And he says your service has to be different than just eye service. What's eye service? Eye service is when the eyes are on you, you give service. And when the eyes are off of you, you don't give service. This could even happen on a basketball court. So we're running sprints or we're doing slide drills, right? And you're doing a defensive slide drill and you're down this stance. Of course, you're, you're, everything's hurting. You're doing the slide drill. And the coach turns his back for a second. And guess what happens to some guys when the, when the coach turns his back? Whoop. Coach turns back around. Whoop. Coach turns back around. Whoop. Or you're running and you go beyond, behind the fence on the track. Coach doesn't see you. Everybody gets down to a trot. Coach sees you again. Oh, you're going hard. And we can do that at work too, can't we? The boss is in the office. We are diligent. We're all on it. The boss goes out for lunch. It's a different ball game. I remember my first, my first jobs was working for a plastic company. I worked the graveyard shift from 11 at night to 7 in the morning. In Texas, it's still 100 degrees inside the plant. And I remember working, and there was a man there who was a janitor. And he enjoyed being a janitor because what he would do is there was like 28 plastic machines all over the, all over the plant. He would work his way around till he got behind one of those machines, and then he would lay down and get some rest. He was finally fired. But that's a picture of eye service. If people are watching, I'm doing my job. People aren't watching, I'm not doing my job the thing with Christ as your master is he's always watching he always knows and he's not just a master who is uncaring he's a master who loves you he's a master who died for you He's a master who went through something nobody else would go, with, go through for you. And so therefore, he's not only your master, he's your hero. He's your God. He's a God who loves you. And therefore, all of our work needs to be from the heart because of what he has done for us. The opposite of working from the heart is idleness. 
just doing what it takes to get through the end of the day. Our work really doesn't matter. Those are all views, according to Colossians 3, that are a lie. Your work does matter. Well, this job really doesn't matter. Yes, it does. Everything under heaven and earth matters to God. He is concerned and he cares about it. And you can tell if you have a wrong view of work because you get incredibly frustrated with your work and you divorce your work from your Christian discipleship. You act one way at work, but you act another way everywhere else. What we don't understand is our work is discipleship. God uses our work to help us become more and more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham Kuyper wrote, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. This includes our lives. This includes our work. There is not one spare minute that Christ does not claim as his. I'm going to say that again. There's not one spare minute that Christ does not claim as his. So when you step on to work and you punch in, Do you value every minute that you're working? And do you value it in the view of Christ and who he is and what he's done? You see, you're working beyond just the work that you're dealing with. You have a new assignment. Why do we work? There's lots of reasons why we work. We work to make money, to provide for our family, and to meet the needs of others. We work sometimes to get a promotion. That's a good thing. If we've been faithful, nothing wrong with that. Um, We also work to help our boss, and we also work uh, to do a good job. But we need to see our work as more than all those things. We need to see them as a place where we can show our love for God and our love for others. That's what it's really about. The results of this new perspective we see in um, Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, work in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we have that verse in 3.17, then we come back with the same kind of verse almost in 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. Christ says, because of what I've done for you, I'm restoring you to what you used to be or what you should have been before the fall. The fall has caused you to be a sloppy worker, a lazy worker, one that's all concerned about yourself. But now that I have purchased you and redeemed you, I have changed the way you view everything in life. So now I work to love God. I go to work, doesn't matter where I work, as I'm doing my work, I know that God is watching. And I want to do a good job out of gratefulness for what he's done for me. Two, when I go to work, I'm not just working for myself, I'm working for others. I'm working for my fellow workers around me. I'm working for my boss. I'm working for those customers. Oh, and they have a problem and they need help. 
oh, that's going to, that's going to bum me out because now I'm going to have to spend extra time doing that. No, because I now learn to love others, I will go the extra mile to make sure that they're taken good care of. Whether I get compensated for it or not, because guess what? My boss is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he always pays well. He always pays well. Three, as we go to work, we're reflecting God's character. The Bible says in John 5, 17, my father is working until now. This is Jesus talking. And I am working. God works. Six days he worked and created the entire universe. And on the seventh day he rested. But God, Jesus said, is working. And Jesus said, I am working. And Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. But while I'm away, I'm doing what? Preparing a place for you. Christ is working in intercession. Christ is working in leading and guiding the world. Christ is working in preparing a place for us. To reflect Jesus, we have to work. And it's a joy. And it's restoring us to what we used to be before the fall of Adam. And four, work for money. Yes, we can work for money, and we need to work for money. Let's be practical here. We have to pay the bills. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow. That would change things, wouldn't it? In our country, because of what we have done to try to help people who don't have things, we have completely cut the legs out from under this kind of work ethic. And it's destroying thousands and thousands and millions of homes for people who now have been given so much they don't even want to work. Work is a good thing. Work is from God. Adam was given work to do in the garden. And if we don't have that kind of view of work, we need to get back into the scriptures and ask God to realign our thinking about work. Ephesians 4.28 says, um, Ephesians 4.28 is talking about if a person steals, let him steal no more. But it says the last part of this verse, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Work is a good thing. It provides for our family. The Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So men, we need to provide for our families, but we also need to have extra to give to others who are in need and to support the work of the Lord. So we do work for money. And finally, we work to make Jesus and his gospel beautiful to others. How do people see the gospel in how you work? How do they understand that? Do you work in such a way that they'll wonder what is wrong with you? Why is this person actually here on time? Why did he actually stay till the end of the day? Why did he actually work extra long on this project to make the whole team successful? Why did he take the extra work from the boss that he didn't have to just because he wanted to, because he wanted to serve his boss? Our job is to make the gospel beautiful. And we can because we have the spirit of Christ living in us. Titus 2, 9 and 10 says, Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God 
our Savior. What are the slaves supposed to do? They're supposed to submit in everything they can to their masters. They're to be pleasing to their masters. They're not to argue with their masters. They're not to be taking from their masters. They're to be working in all good faith so that their master understands. Now we see this picture with Joseph, don't we? Joseph worked for Potiphar. He worked for the, the, prison, the prison captain. And everywhere he worked, he always did what was best for everyone involved in his life. Do we do that in our work? Do we need to reevaluate our work ethic to line it up with Colossians chapter 3? Third, the Christian should realize that his work will be rewarded by Christ. So first of all, we're working for Christ. That should be enough right there. Right there should be enough to completely transform our work ethic. But now he tells us we're going to be rewarded by Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 19b and 20 says, you are, not, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You and I have been purchased. We're going to take the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. You and I have been purchased by Christ. By something that's greater than silver and gold. The precious blood of Christ. We have been given something we could never earn. Even if we worked the rest of our life for no pay, we would still come out ahead. Because God has already rewarded us with something we could never have purchased ourselves. Do we stand amazed at our salvation in Jesus Christ? Life has a lot of hard things to give us, a lot of difficult things to deal with. But Paul's admonition in Colossians 3 is, look to Jesus. However bad your employment situation is or any other situation, look to Jesus and what he has done for you. You are not your own. I am not my own. We are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our job is to glorify God. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You have a reward waiting for you. And God promises to reward everyone. In Ephesians 6, 8, which is a parallel passage to this one, we read, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. So you're working, and you're not getting the kind of recognition you think you need to get, or you're not getting the kind of pay increase you think you need to get. The good news is, you're not a slave in that work, so you could go find another job to increase your pay and do those things. But if you choose not to do that, you still know that God is going to reward what you and I do. A lot of us get demotivated by, how, by what we're being paid or what we're having to do. But when we understand who we're doing it for, and we understand that Jesus will reward, that should change our attitude. 
So let's think about it. We didn't deserve salvation and Christ died for us. The Bible says, he who did not spare his own son, Romans 8, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I don't know about your testimony of God, but God is bountiful. And I've had some hard things in my life, as all of you have. He is bountiful. He has given me more than I deserve. And he will, on that day, when he returns, give us more than we can ever ask or imagine. He will not short you when it comes to rewarding you for what you've done, whether it's ever been rewarded here on earth or not. He rewards. Hebrews 11 says that faith is, when you get old, you just have these issues, okay? (laughs) Hebrews 11 says, six, and without faith it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you believe that? In the middle of the job you're in, in the middle of the situation you're in? He is a rewarder. He sees everything that's done. And he gives you the grace and the power to live for him. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 gives us this admonition. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So and so and so. Do what he calls you to do. Go the extra mile. Love your boss. Love those around you. Love, your, love those who are your customers. Go above and beyond for the name of Jesus. By the power of Jesus. It's an incredible testimony. And finally, the Christian master employer must treat his workers with justice and fairness. So he's talked to slaves. He spent three or four verses more than he did for masters. Masters get one verse. Matter of fact, wives get one verse. Husbands get one verse. Children get one verse. Fathers get one verse. Slaves get what? Three verses? Four verses? Masters get one verse. For the wrongdoer will be repaid for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. That's kind of the verse between the slave and the master. And what God's saying here is this. I will judge your work. And I will repay you, good or bad, depending on what you've done with your work. And I'm not going to show partiality. Some of us think because we're now Christians, we get a pass and we can perform at a different level. Unfortunately, in the world, Christians have a bad reputation as far as being employees. There are Christian employers who will not hire Christians 
because they're bad employees. And why is that? Because they think they have some kind of special privilege and you and I are brothers in Christ and you know how it is and I can just come in a little later and I can do a little less work and it's your job to kind of minister and care for me. God forbid. Christian workers should be the best because they have the best master, because they have the Holy Spirit living within them. And so all Jesus is saying here is, guess what? I see how you work. I see how you work as an employee. I see the employer and how he treats you. And I will deal with wrong. I will deal with it. For the wrongdoer will be repaid for the wrong he has done. No partiality. No partiality between the employer and the what? Employee. Well, I'm really kind of an employer kind of guy as God. I'm going to lean toward them. No, I'm really for the little guy over here. No, he shows no partiality even between those two. He judges righteously and fairly. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Brother Bill alluded to this in his prayer. In this passage, the same man can be talked about three times, right? If you're a householder in that, cu- in that culture, you have a wife, you have sons or daughters, you're a father, and you probably also have slaves as well. So you're the master. So you fit all three categories. Yet in all three categories, whether you're the husband, whether you're the father, whether you're the master, you have someone over you. You have the master who is looking out and watching you. You are under authority. One of our mistakes is we think that we're not under authority as as leaders. And the Bible's clear here that we are under authority. Remember this, masters or employers, that all authority comes from God. And remember you're under his authority and he's watching Remember Nebuchadnezzar, who was, had this incredible kingdom? And God sent him on a seven-year journey in which he became like an animal until he came to the point of being able to say, God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is in control. Employers should imitate Christ, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, not doing things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, considering others better than yourselves. That's the model of an employer. So imitating Christ in our service and our blessing. Remember Joseph? Now Joseph was a slave, and he served as a slave under Potiphar and in the prison and under Pharaoh, but he was also what? Second in command over Egypt. And look at his incredible service to the nation of Egypt and to all the surrounding peoples. Nehemiah. Nehemiah became a leader to rebuild the wall. Leaders should bring service and blessing to those who are under them. And this is one reason why authority has such a problem in our culture, doesn't it? It's because sometimes the people in authority actually use it just for themselves. And are not a blessing to those underneath them. May that not be true of us as believers. And it should be sacrificial. 
Jesus tells them that whoever wants to be great tells the disciples, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom will be servant of all. And whoever will be first must be slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Employers need to imitate Christ. One thing is true about any authority is that they can be ter- authority can be terribly abused. Whether it's in the home, whether it's in the church, whether it's in the business, whether it's in the government. Sinful men, not given freedom in their own flesh, can be cruel and harsh and abusive. That should not be the testimony of a Christian because they have a master who is loving and caring, kind and sacrificial to them. Chuck Colson tells the story of Pastor Richard Halverson and he had a man in his congregation who finally came to know Christ. He was a, he was a car salesman. He had several car dealerships around the city and he had a horrible reputation of being unfair to his customers and to his employees. This man came to Mr. Halverson one day and said, you know, I've got a plan. Now that I've trusted Jesus, my plan is to hand out a New Testament to every customer who comes into my place and give one to every one of my employees as well. Um, And Mr. Halverson made this comment. Well, that's a good idea. But you know, an even better idea would be for you to treat your customers fairly and to treat your employees fairly. Because I suspect that if you give out New Testaments and you continue to conduct yourself the way you've been conducting yourself, it's going to be detrimental to the gospel, not helpful. Not only do employees put the gospel into space, so do employers. And for some, it may require repentance and going back and making things right with people and apologizing for the way they've been treated. There are businesses who go back to people they've mistreated and say, hey, what happened in this situation? We're really sorry this happened. What can we do to make this right? And they will do whatever it takes to make the situation right. It's called repentance. It's called reconciliation. It happens in business as well as in relationships. Employers should make the gospel beautiful. And finally, just a testimony. Years ago in New Zealand, there was a man named Robert Laidlaw. He, in his travels, came across a Montgomery Ward catalog. That tells you how old this is. That's old school. Montgomery Ward catalog. And he realized that in New Zealand, they had nothing like that. And so he went back to New Zealand, and he started his own mail order house. His first catalog had 125 pages. He worked out of a 20 by 30 room, and he promised the people in his catalog that he could get them anything they needed from socks to tools. You can imagine what happened. His business began to grow and grow and grow to the point in which it was a fi- he finally built a building five stories tall with floor space of 7.5 acres. 
He was not just a businessman, though. He also loved the Lord. And in 1913, there was an evangelistic team who came to New Zealand, and he had one of the evangelists share the gospel with his 200 employees. In World War II, he found himself in South Wales preaching revival services there in South Wales to a packed crowd. He was an excellent preacher, proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in his desire for his employees to know Christ, he wrote a little book called The Reason Why, in which he gave his testimony of how Jesus saved him and told people how they could know Christ. Millions of copies of this book was printed. Even as late as 1960 and 70, there was a correspondence course using the reason why as a book. Here's a beautiful picture of an employer who was successful in what he did, who cared for his employees' souls, and who shared the gospel even beyond his business. The gospel of Christ changes our view on work. It also starts in the home, parents, as your children either obey what you ask them to do or they don't. Who are they really obeying? Are they obeying you or are they obeying Christ? If they're obeying Christ, that should be a different story than just obeying you, but they should obey you in respect for Christ. Where are we today with our work and in what we do? How can we become more like Jesus? as a result of Colossians chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you that we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus and we are your bondservants. And Lord, you call us to serve our earthly masters, not with eye service, but with sincerity of heart, fearing you. And you call us, Lord, to work heartily as for you and not for men. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we work uh, in less than a way that is honoring to you. Father, help us as we work each and every day to see that our work does matter for you, that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price. And Father, may we put Christ on display for all of those around us to see. Father, pray that you would prosper the work of our hands, that you would open up avenues for the gospel of Christ in all the work that we do. Father, that we would look to you for the reward, knowing that you are faithful to give us everything we need now for life and godliness, and that you have a good reward waiting for us. Lord Jesus, We're truly amazed that you love us and that you continue to love us and you continue to use work as a way to form us more and more into the image of Christ. In your name we pray, amen.